Imagine this for a second. You're a young parent out on a camping trip when suddenly a wild animal steals your newborn daughter right out from under you. You frantically head after it, but it's pitch black and you're in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? You call the police, but they don't even believe you. You try to get your story out to warn people so at least it doesn't happen again, but no one else believes you either. In fact, the more you explain what happened, the more everyone thinks that you killed your baby. And somehow police start finding evidence that proves it. You've already lost your baby. Now you might lose the rest of your life in prison. This is the story of Australia's most infamous missing child, Azaria Chamberlain. I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is International Infamy, a Spotify original from Parcast. On this show, I'm taking you on a world tour of 15 notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Today, we're diving deep into the outback to tell the story of Azaria Chamberlain, a baby who disappeared in the Australian wilderness. The case inspired a nationwide frenzy that tore her mother's life apart. All of that is coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. On August 17, 1980, 32-year-old Lindy Chamberlain wakes up in her tent near the base of Uluru in Australia's Northern Territory. Uluru is an ancient rust-colored rock formation in the Australian outback. It's more than two miles long and over a thousand feet high. That's taller than the Eiffel Tower. The local Aboriginal people have considered it a sacred place for tens of thousands of years. So it's no huge surprise that Lindy and her husband, Michael, picked it as the site of their camping trip. The Chamberlains also brought along their two sons and the newest member of their family, their nine-week-old baby, Azaria. Of course, wrangling two little boys and a newborn baby in the outback doesn't sound exactly relaxing, but by all accounts, the vacation starts out wonderfully. The family spends the morning and the afternoon of the 17th climbing around the Red Rocks. At one point, Lindy brings baby Azaria to check out a section called the Fertility Cave. But when she gets there, she freezes. A wild dingo is standing at the mouth of the cave, staring right at her. Now, Lindy isn't so worried. Dingoes are actually small animals, about the size of foxes. 
And the dingoes around Uluru are malnourished after a recent drought. So the one that Lindy sees is likely scrawny and thin, not exactly threatening. Plus, most Australians consider dingoes to be relatively harmless. So Lindy just turns around and keeps hiking. Later, Michael snaps a cute photo of Lindy holding the baby's hands and helping her balance on the rocks. This is the last picture ever taken of Azaria Chamberlain. Here's what Lindy and Michael say happens next. Around 8 p.m. that evening, Lindy puts Azaria to bed in her tent and then heads back to the communal barbecue, where Michael is chatting with another family staying near their campsite. Another camper named Sally Lowe has noticed a dingo following her as she carried some trash to the garbage bins. So there's at least one creeping around the campground that night, but again, no one is very worried. The Chamberlains keep hanging out for a while, relaxing after a long, exhausting day of hiking, until Sally hears a baby crying. She mentions it to Lindy, and Lindy leaps up to go check on Azaria. The next cry that Sally hears doesn't come from a baby. It's Lindy, and she is screaming. Michael runs back to check on his wife, and then Sally hears Lindy shout a line that will follow her for the rest of her life. My God, my God, the dingoes got my baby. Now, Lindy doesn't actually see a dingo run off with Azaria. She spots one coming out of the baby's tent, but as far as she can tell, it doesn't have anything in its jaws. Of course, it is nighttime, so it may just be too dark for Lindy to see clearly. Also, dingoes often hunt in packs, so it's possible that a separate dingo had already run off with Azaria. Besides, all anyone has to do is look in the tent to understand what happened. Azaria is missing. All that's left are blood spatters and a baby blanket covered in tiny holes that look like teeth marks. There's even a line of paw prints leading out of the tent and out into the desert. So Lindy and Michael rally the entire campground and they frantically set off across the outback to find Azaria. But it isn't that easy. First, there's a lot of ground to cover, and the searchers only have a few flashlights between them. And it's getting late, so temperatures are dropping. The desert around Uluru is known to get below freezing after sunset. It doesn't take long for Michael to recognize that they probably aren't going to find their baby daughter alive. If the dingo hasn't killed her already, the cold probably will. Before the night is over, the entire Chamberlain family has already accepted Azaria's sad fate. They spend the night at a motel in town, and early the next morning, the local police and rangers join in the search. But by that point, everyone is pretty sure it's hopeless. That morning, a reporter for the Adelaide News gets a tip that a baby disappeared out near Uluru. He reaches out to Lindy and Michael for an interview that same afternoon, and they agree. They don't know it at the time, but this is the beginning of an endless wave of media coverage that will sweep them up over the next few years. And even in this first interview, something about Lindy and Michael's story feels off. Nobody disputes that a dingo took Azaria, at least not yet, but Lindy and Michael just seem too calm about it. At one point, Michael even says that Azaria's death was the will of God. I'll let that sink in. Two parents lose their nine-week-old baby in a terrible accident, and less than 24 hours later, they're explaining away her death as part of God's plan. Everyone who reads the story is shocked. 
Now, to be fair, let's remember Lindy and Michael had just spent an exhausting night searching for Azaria, so they're probably emotionally fatigued. And the Chamberlains are deeply religious. Michael is even a pastor. So it makes sense that they would turn to their faith at a time like this. But even with that context, Michael's quote comes off as sounding pretty cold to most people. And as the media latches on to the story of Azaria's disappearance over the next few weeks, the Chamberlain's weird behavior draws even more attention from the police. Coming up, Azaria's disappearance turns from a tragic animal attack into a murder investigation. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Let's get back to the story. On the night of Azaria's disappearance, the explanation of what happened looked clear. One or more dingoes broke into the family's tent and carried the baby into the Australian outback. But as the news spreads across the country over the next few days, things get messy fast. It seems like everyone has an opinion about what happened, and not all of them involve dingoes. It all started with that interview with the Adelaide News, where both parents seem oddly resigned to their nine-week-old baby's gruesome death. And also, a lot of Australians have lived around dingoes for their entire lives, and they aren't sure that even a starving dingo would attack a child. The local police have their doubts, too. The night after Azaria's disappearance, the four cops assigned to the case sit around a bar at a motel and trade theories about whether a dingo would or could kidnap a kid. One officer, a man named John Lincoln, doesn't buy it. Lindy said that Azaria was around 10 pounds, and Lincoln is certain that a small dingo can't lift that much weight in its mouth, let alone pick it up and run off. Now, Lincoln is just a cop, not an expert in animal jaw strength, but in between drinks, he decides to stage a little experiment to prove his point. So he hops off his bar stool and disappears for a few minutes. 
When he comes back, he's holding a plastic bucket filled with 10 pounds of sand. He sticks the handle in his mouth, bites down, and holds the bucket in his teeth. He struggles with it for a few seconds before having to let it go. The cops set down their glasses and pass the bucket around, taking turns. None of them can hold it up for very long either. And if a few guys in the bar can't lift 10 pounds with their teeth, then how can a dingo, they think? Which, to them, means the Chamberlains must be lying. Lindy must have killed Azaria herself when she ran off to check the tent, and Michael must be helping her cover it up. At this point, it's all just a hunch. Lincoln doesn't have any hard evidence against the Chamberlains, at least not until a few days later. On August 24th, a photographer named Wally Goodwin is walking near Uluru when he stumbles across a baby's jumpsuit. The suit is white, just like the one Azaria was wearing, or it had been white once. Now it's dirty and the collar is stained with something that looks like blood. Here's the weird thing, though. Other than the blood in the dirt, the clothes aren't ripped or torn. And even weirder, they seem to be laid out nicely on the ground, not exactly what you'd expect from a dingo. Wally runs for the police, but the cops apparently don't know what to do with actual evidence once they have it. According to Wally, the first officer at the scene immediately grabs the clothes and starts inspecting them with his bare hands. Later, another officer arranges the jumpsuit back on the ground so a police photographer can snap photos for evidence. This is not exactly the most thoughtful police work. It's no surprise that the official report from a few days later is also littered with issues. For one, the report is full of unfounded rumors and speculation. Apparently, the police had spoken to the Chamberlain's doctor who said Lindy appeared not to have cared for the baby and did not react like a normal mother. The doctor also says that he looked up the name Azaria in a baby name book and that it means sacrifice in the wilderness, which... Let me be clear here, it does not. Azaria actually comes from a Hebrew word that translates to helped by God. I can't track down any explanation about where the doctor got this bad information or why police felt it's worth including in the report. But in any case, they put it in. And it's not long before that detail leaks to the press. They connect it to the fact that Lindy and Michael are devoutly religious, and suddenly the Chamberlains are suspects, at least in the court of public opinion. You can really see how feelings change in the different headlines. Like, right after Azaria went missing, the articles all say things like, Dingo snatches baby girl, and no doubt baby taken by Dingo. But over the next week or so, the reporting starts to hedge a bit. They say that the Chamberlains claim dingoes took their child instead of treating it as fact. And once the rumors about Azaria's name start to spread, the headlines turn into wild speculation, like Azaria, sacrifice link. Just like that, Lindy and Michael Chamberlain have morphed from victims of a tragedy to apparently religious zealots who murdered their own baby daughter in a ritual. The fact that there's no actual evidence against them doesn't seem to matter. And it only gets worse after Lindy gives an interview on TV. There's a famous clip where Lindy explains how a dingo was able to get Azaria's jumpsuit off so neatly without tearing it to pieces. Her answer is matter of fact. Quote, Dingoes use their feet like hands and pull back the skin as they go and they'll just peel it like an orange. End quote. 
For viewers watching at home, all they see is a mother coldly describing how a dingo peeled her missing baby like a piece of fruit. But of course, this interview is pre-recorded and edited. This quote is actually from the seventh take. Audiences never got to see the first six takes, where Lindy repeatedly broke down in tears until the journalist took her aside and told her to pull herself together. So they tried one more time, and Lindy did her best to get through it without crying. And that's the only take they used. It just fuels the idea that Lindy is a cold-blooded killer. By the fall of 1980, the Chamberlain's house is plagued with honking cars driving by, trying to get a glimpse of the family. Some people even howl out their windows as they pass. And then there are the letters. Lindy starts receiving mountains of mail from people all across Australia. Some of the notes are kind, messages of love and support, but the majority of them are, well, I'll just read a few. One says, You murdered the baby because it wasn't normal. Your husband should divorce you and get a good woman as a wife. There's another one that blames Azaria's death on a two-legged dingo like you. And this letter introduces a whole different theory. If you did not kill your baby, then your son did. This harassment continues until December of 1980, when a coroner launches an official inquest into the cause of Azaria's death. They still haven't found Azaria's body, but between the bloody tent and the testimonials from the campers, the coroner is confident enough to make a ruling. Azaria Chamberlain was killed by dingoes. But even though the coroner's statement makes it clear that Lindy and Michael are in no way responsible for the baby's death, it ends with this strange line. The body of Azaria was taken from the possession of the dingo and disposed of by an unknown method, by a person or person's name unknown. To be honest, I'm not completely sure what this is even suggesting. The dingo had a human partner in crime? I mean, regardless, the police don't accept the coroner's findings. They're still convinced that Lindy and Michael are murderers. All they need is proof. And if they can't find it, they'll fake it. Up next, the police launch a second coroner's inquest, and this time, it doesn't go in the Chamberlain's favor. Now let's get back to the story. By the end of 1980, the Australian public still suspects that Lindy and Michael killed their baby and blamed it on a dingo. The police are right there with them. We don't know exactly why the authorities are so determined to pin Azaria's death on her parents. It may have been Lindy's strange and suspicious behavior or pressure from the public. I've seen speculation that it's all about tourism and making sure that visitors don't stop coming to Australia out of fear of killer dingoes. Whatever the reason, the police keep digging for anything that might prove that Lindy and Michael are guilty. In the summer of 1981, a British forensic scientist named James Cameron flies in from London to help with the case. Dr. Cameron takes a look at Azaria's bloody jumpsuit. He can't find a single dingo hair on the clothes or any trace of dingo saliva, but he does find one thing, a very faint pattern on the back of the jumpsuit that Cameron says is a bloody handprint. According to Cameron, the evidence suggests that Azaria wasn't taken by dingoes. He believes the baby's throat was cut. That's all police need. 
They show up at the Chamberlain's house on September 19th with a search warrant and seize anything they think could be useful to their case, including Lindy and Michael's car. When Lindy hears about Cameron's findings, she says, I didn't know there were any dingo experts in London, which, fair. She also insists that Azaria was wearing a cardigan sweater when she disappeared, which would explain why there was no dingo saliva on the jumpsuit. It was covered by the cardigan. But the sweater is still missing, so the police just assume Lindy made it up. When they search the family's car, they find multiple stains that they believe are blood. Most importantly, there's a suspicious bloody spray pattern around the passenger seat. It doesn't take long for police to come up with their own version of Azaria's death. Based on the forensics in the car, they decide that while Michael was still at the barbecue with the other campers, Lindy must have taken the crying baby out of the tent and brought her to the car. She held Azaria in the driver's seat and slit her throat. Once Azaria was dead, Lindy hid the body inside her husband's camera bag until she could bury it in the desert later. Afterward, she supposedly went back to the tent and staged it to look like a dingo attack. She splattered blood around and even stabbed the baby's blanket with a pair of scissors to make it look like teeth marks. Now, nobody explains how she was able to do all of this in roughly 10 minutes between when she left to check on Azaria and when her screams brought the whole campsite running, or why she wouldn't have just killed Azaria in the tent instead of taking her back to the car. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but the supposed blood stains in the family car are enough evidence for the cops. Of course, If they had looked a little closer, they would have found that the blood stains are actually just drink spills. And the supposed blood spatter is just chemical overspray from when the car was manufactured. But they don't look at that closely. Instead, the Australian government immediately reopens the case and charges Lindy Chamberlain with murder. By the time the actual trial begins a year later, Azaria Chamberlain's death is the biggest news story in Australia. When Lindy and Michael show up at the courthouse for the first day of the proceedings, they're met with a huge crowd of onlookers. Most of them have signs or t-shirts with slogans about Lindy's guilt. Some even try and spit at the parents when they pass. And this is the part that really gets me. At the time, Lindy Chamberlain is seven months pregnant with another baby, one that she knows will be taken away from her if she's found guilty. But still, the media gets a look at Lindy's face and decides to focus on the fact that she looks bitter and angry, like it's another sign of her guilt. You know, instead of a normal reaction to people spitting on you and shouting things like, the dingo is innocent. No, all the news can focus on is the fact that she doesn't look right for a grieving mother. In the eyes of the Australian public, Lindy Chamberlain is already guilty. The prosecution still doesn't have anything concrete against Lindy. There's no body, no motive, and no murder weapon. Every single eyewitness who was around Uluru that night backs up the dingo explanation. One young camper was even attacked by another dingo the day before. But the government has its own story, one that paints Lindy as a cold, unfeeling mother who killed her baby and buried her in the desert before blaming the whole thing on a wild animal. They tell this story so many times that the flawed forensics and weak circumstantial evidence don't even matter anymore. Neither does the fact that witnesses heard Azaria crying after Lindy supposedly killed her. When Lindy takes the stand, the prosecutor immediately calls her a liar. Then he hammers her with questions, trying to poke holes in her story. 
Up until this point, Lindy has been strong and stoic. She always kept her cool, but as the prosecutor drills her with comments about how the dingo might have killed Azaria, Lindy finally bursts into tears. She cries, we are talking about my baby daughter, not some object. But even this little bit of humanity isn't enough to help her. On October 29, 1982, the jury returns with a verdict. Lindy Chamberlain is guilty of murder. Her sentence? Life with hard labor. During her first few weeks in prison, Lindy gives birth to a baby girl. I can't imagine what this must feel like. Lindy has already lost her first daughter. Then she lost her freedom. Now she has to hand over her newborn. It's heartbreaking. The Chamberlains try to appeal the sentence, but it's no use. When their last attempt is shut down, Michael tells a reporter that they won't stop fighting. But it's hard to see what else the family could possibly do. It doesn't look like Lindy is getting out without a miracle. But then that miracle happens. A report comes out that pokes holes in the forensic findings and proves that the supposed blood spray in Lindy's car was actually chemicals from the auto factory. Some of the other campers from Uluru also start making public appearances, calling for Lindy's release. Little by little, the Australian public starts to rethink things. Maybe Lindy has been telling the truth this entire time. There are op-eds in newspapers about the flaws in the investigation. Then free Lindy stickers start appearing on the bumpers of cars around the country. Lindy starts getting letters again, and the tone is very different from the angry notes she received after Azaria disappeared. These ones are supportive. They're kind. Some of them even include money to help out the family. By 1984, there's a petition calling on the government to take another look at Lindy's conviction, and it pulls in over 130,000 signatures from all across Australia. Unfortunately, it doesn't change anything. The public helped put Lindy Chamberlain in prison, but now they can't help get her out. At least not until early 1986, when a hiker on Uluru falls to his death. When authorities find his body, it's surrounded by dingo dens. And there is a tiny baby sweater nearby. It's Azaria's cardigan, the one Lindy always said was missing, the one that the police never believed existed. And here it is, right where a pack of dingoes is known to live. This finally is enough to get the government to admit that there were some issues with the case against Lindy Chamberlain. On February 7, 1986, after more than three years in prison, Lindy is released. Here's the catch, though. She may be free, but she isn't actually cleared of the murder charge. It takes another two years before the Court of Appeals officially revokes her conviction. Four more years after that until the government awards her a settlement of $1.3 million for wrongful imprisonment. It takes until 2012 for a long-awaited inquest to finally acknowledge once and for all that Azaria was killed by dingoes. By then, the tragedy of Azaria Chamberlain had already turned into a global laughingstock. Lindy's cry that a dingo got her baby has become a punchline, appearing everywhere from late-night TV to newspaper cartoons to episodes of Seinfeld and The Simpsons. But behind the laughter is a woman who lost her baby and then her freedom, all because she supposedly didn't act like the normal grieving mother. 
Now, it's easy to look back and blame the police for their faulty investigation or the Australian media for sensationalizing the story and stirring up conspiracies. But Lindy herself has a different take on it. In her 1990 memoir, Through My Eyes, she says that everyone deserves a little blame. From the media who sensationalized her story, to the public who ate it up, to the police who followed rumors instead of truth. It all added up to a mother being put in prison for a crime she didn't commit. And ultimately, that's what's so scary about this story. A dingo may have killed Azaria Chamberlain, but wild dogs aren't the real dangerous animal in this story. According to Lindy, humans are. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be back with another stop on our True Crime World Tour. And if you want to hear more, you can find all episodes of International Infamy for free on Spotify. International Infamy was co-created by Max Cutler and Ashley Flowers and is a Spotify original from Parcast starring Ashley Flowers. It's executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of International Infamy was written by River Donahay with writing assistance by Kay Gallagher and Allie Wicker, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Chelsea Wood. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out Crime Junkie and all AudioChuck originals. 